1: <laughs> okay it is uh monday and uh, it's nice to have you with us here patrick jobs along with uh philip pilkington and uh we've got a great show for you today uh inside pirate athletics with uh mike swartz returns tonight to the uh airwaves 94.3 the game select stations across the ecu sports network of the east carolina sports network and uh Looking forward to being back at Tiebreakers tonight with uh, Steve Steven Igo, uh, Coach Schwartz, and you. That's coming up at six o'clock. So uh, we'll lead you to a certain point and then Philip will take you through everything. Uh we've got Rini and Goliath. We've got the national championship being played uh, tonight for the college football playoff, Michigan and Washington. Uh first, Philip the ref Pilkington is along uh side. Pilk hope it was a good weekend for you did you go to the game yesterday in Charlotte or, or no?
2: no I didn't I unfortunately I thought I was gonna have to work so I had planned not to go. Turns out I didn't have to work so I uh, just went to the Pirates and Golden Hurricane instead and uh, kind of glad I did because I may have thrown a drink on David Tepper if I was there so probably a good thing I didn't I wasn't as mad <laughs> being at the uh, the Pirates game.
1: You know, pulled the reverse tepper and, uh, it soaked him with the uh, with the beverage. No, and, and, I mean, nine nothing was hideous yesterday. Uh, just absolutely, uh, abysmal. And, uh, as a result, the, uh, Panthers have, uh, gotten rid of their general manager, Scott Fitterer, who I don't think has, uh, drafted very well. Now he's, you know, kind of been put in a weird position. I, I still think the Bryce Young thing is going to prove to be a really big undoing. I know we've got people that have been on that talked about how much they like him, but I I just think he has to have so much going in his favor and so much around him. I I just don't see when – I don't see how that's going to happen. And I I don't even think they're in the running for a legitimate – I mean, the the Detroit coordinators, probably the coach, right? But, I mean, wouldn't you have to hire the GM first and have that GM being on the coach hunt, so to speak?
2: I mean, it seems if like, you're,
1: that would to go, but uh, who knows with David Tepper how that would go? Yeah,
2: exactly. When you're Tepper, you like to micromanage stuff so much. I mean, who knows? I agree that Scott Fitter should be gone, but who knows how much of this has even been his doing and how much it has been David Tepper's doing? We don't know. You know, most organizations, everyone does their job and they don't do other people's job. I think in this organization, the top man does everybody's job, and so it's hard to say. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Who knows? I, but yes, to your point, Patrick, they should hire a general manager first, but hey, you know, who knows?
1: Uh, do you, uh, sorry to see Ron Rivera go in Washington, but, uh, it just has not worked out there. Uh, don't know if Rivera will get another crack at head coaching, but, uh, um, look, Ron Rivera, uh, as a Panthers fan, pilk, I have to imagine, uh, that while there were some up and down seasons, for the most part, you have to look at uh, Ron Rivera favorably and, and hate to see that uh, what happened here what happened here with him in Washington.
2: Yeah, you know, I was really hoping he was going to be the guy to turn that program around. Unfortunately, Dan Snyder created kind of a dumpster fire there. Luckily, he's gone. But, yeah, I hate it for Ron. Ron was such a good guy. I never had the chance to meet him, but I knew people who actually had a friend and her grandparents lived next door and said he was a really nice guy. Him and his wife were great people. Uh, he was a heck of a coach, did a lot for this organization, two-time coach of the year, took us to a Super Bowl. So uh, a lot of respect for Coach Rivera, and I wish him the best in whatever he decides to do and wherever his journey takes him next.
1: Yep, we'll see. Uh, the uh, the day where uh, NFL teams uh, make a lot of personnel decisions. And I, I don't think we're done. I think there's some playoff teams that might very well uh, make a coaching change, depending on how things turn out uh, in the weekend ahead. All right, uh, before we get to ECU's great win over uh, Tulsa yesterday in basketball, and I don't know if I said this or not, but Rini goalie is going to be with this next segment. We're going to talk to him about the college football playoff tonight and get that... Uh, Perspective from uh, ESPN college football analyst Rini Angolia. Uh, before we get to the Pirate basketball victory yesterday, and I thought ECU was certainly a tale of two halves, uh, it was announced today that the uh, by the High School Athletic Association that the basketball state championships and regional finals will all be contested at one venue, uh, one site, and it'll be the same site. It'll be a week-long deal. Uh, it's going to be in Winston-Salem at the Joel Coliseum Complex. Uh, so they will play not only the uh, the uh, regional finals, which will be contested in the four classifications, uh, let me get this right, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Then they'll play the state championships Friday and Saturday. So you'll have four games each day will be played out Uh, at these venues for the boys and the girls and, uh, then you, for the regionals and then you will have, uh, your two finals, uh, or your finals be played out, uh, Friday. So if you played in one of the regionals Monday or Tuesday, your championship will be Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, your championship will be Saturday. Uh, you know, I, at at first blush, I kind of like the move. I, for a long time, pardon me, for a long time, the thinking has been that you need to play uh, in a Final Four kind of setting, with the uh, regional final and then the uh, state final, and this does this the best it uh, can, so I have no problem with this. I think uh, Winston Salem, if we're being fair, might be as close to centrally located as, as you can get. Uh, you know, Raleigh Chapel Hill were probably not terribly centrally located for teams coming from the west. Uh, but uh, that triad area is, and uh, so this will be the first time that Joel Coliseum will be hosting this event. That's a good venue, uh, a little bit of an older venue, but obviously an ACC venue currently with Wake Forest uh, playing all their games there, so uh, they'll also use that annex. They'll uh, avail themselves of that, so I think the whole, uh, co- the, the whole concept is a good concept. Uh, so more on that as we get up the road and get a little closer to that. Uh, right now, though, uh, let's talk ECU's uh, 62-57 win over Tulsa on the hardwood in our Pirate Report.
0: And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 the game. East Carolina moved 1-1,
1: the American at 8-7 overall. They sent Tulsa to 9-5 and 0-2 and oh and in the AAC. East Carolina rallied from being down three at the half. They limited Tulsa to just 25 second half points. And uh, the Pirates, with the uh, victory, was Brandon Johnson stroking a three out of the uh, corner with 55 seconds remaining uh, to uh, give the Pirates a three-point edge. And then uh, Pirates went on to get the uh, victory. 17 for Brandon Johnson, 14 apiece for Ezra Azar and R.J. Felton. Pirates snap a two-game skid with the uh, victory. And uh, really a tale of two halves, uh, as I mentioned. uh, The Pirates in the first half had a hard time shooting the basketball, uh, just 32% from the floor, 2 of 9 for 3. Golden Hurricane shot 56.5% in the first half, 36% for 3. In the second half, Tulsa limited to below 30% shooting from the floor. And uh, four of 16 for three. Pirates, two of seven for three. Not a great day shooting the three ball, but they shot it at 50% from the floor in the second half. Also got to the foul line and uh, converted. Uh, they battled uh, virtually even on the boards with Tulsa. Uh, the Golden Hurricane with 19 turnovers. Pirates committed just nine on the uh, day. And uh, as we mentioned, Brandon Johnson, a rebound shy of another double-double. Cam Hayes gave the Pirates a nice outing with uh, eight points as he and Pettiford combined for 14 in the second half after both going scoreless. Pirates only got three points off the bench, and that came from Ben Biala, who played seven minutes. There was nobody who played more than eight minutes off the bench uh, as the uh, Pirates were out Quentin Debunje, but but uh, they gutted out the win yesterday. Felton logging 38 minutes, 34 minutes apiece for Azar and uh, Johnson. Uh, certainly, P.J. Haggerty struggled in the second half, but he was certainly as good as advertised. Kobe uh, Williams... Hit five threes in the loss for uh, Tulsa, and uh, the Golden Hurricane lose in Greenville for the uh, second consecutive uh, year. That's a, a good win for East Carolina. Let's hear what uh, Coach Swartz had to say in the aftermath of the uh, game. Also, we'll hear from a couple of the players, but uh, Coach Mike Swartz on the big plays down the
3: stretch. Big time players make big time plays in big time moments, big time shots, and we have it in us on this team. And for Brandon to make that shot game isn't going to always be perfect. I mean, we got the ball to Ezra where we wanted to get it to him. Bobby cuts. He has him. He doesn't make the pass and turns it over. Like, So players are going to step up and make plays, and Ezra's going to be able to make those plays late in the game, and he has before. But Brandon made that play. But you go back, I think we got two loose ball offensive rebounds prior to Brandon making that shot, and that's as big as anything. And then RJ obviously secures a defensive rebound and makes two free throws to make it a a two-possession game.
1: Uh, continuing on uh, with uh, our Pirate Report and Coach Schwartz on what they did to win.
3: We took care of the ball, and Mike and I talked about this before the game, that that was going to be a key point. And then the last thing that I'm really proud of our guys, even though he is such a dynamic player and he obviously goes and gets 16 points, but you know I think he had six of seven in the first half from the floor, and in the second half I think he was two for seven, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. He was eight PJ. of
2: nine, missed his last five.
3: And But the biggest thing is under the free-throw column for him to have zero free-throw attempts. Yeah. And I thought our guys really, really locked in on that, and that was a huge piece of our game plan to keep him off the free-throw line. Uh,
1: I did not know that. I remember when uh, Haggerty missed his second shot of the game, I uh, didn't realize that it was uh, that tough for him down the stretch. But a great defensive job. Pirates really clogged things up in the second half, made it uh, really, really difficult for Tulsa. Uh, Mike Swartz on uh, getting a conference win. Cut three.
3: You know, uh, needless to say, very, very excited that we were able to, uh, you know, come out with the win tonight and particularly another close game that comes down to the end. And, you know, as much as, it, as positive as it is to make plays down the stretch, uh, free throws, Brandon's big shots, some defensive stops, some offensive rebounds, plays like that, that plays that hadn't gone our way in the previous game. Um, I think as much as anything, is, it's a conference game. It's a conference game. It's a conference win, fortunately, uh, versus a very good Tulsa team, uh, Coach Conco and their program. I just, you know, and you know I've said this before, I just have a lot of respect for him. I know him a long time. I think he's a heck of a coach. they got a great program. They're players, and we're fortunate that we we're able to win today.
1: Uh, more from Coach Swartz on the, uh, importance of every possession in a game like this.
3: Every possession is a possession game. This is the finest of finest lines in terms of winning basketball games and winning conference games. And, uh, this game was no different and a huge possession was we give up that offensive rebound for them to tie the game when they lay it in. Uh, but we got it back with three or, you know, two or three team offensive rebounds when we kept you know, fighting, fighting and the ball went out of bounds and finally Brandon makes that shot in the corner. But, uh, it, it's a possession game and that's why there, there is no margin for error for anybody. And we know we're still at the point where we really don't have a margin for error, uh, it, just in terms of whether it be depth or experience winning. Uh, but, but today we'll go on the side of the good experience that we can draw back to, uh, to as we are going to be in a lot of close games. And,
1: uh, Coach Schwartz thinks this was the most complete game that Cam Hayes played.
3: I thought Cam finally started to look a little more comfortable playing. Uh, look, you know, I, the numbers ain't necessarily going to show a short field goal percentage wise, but he made some big shots. He got to the rim several times. I would tell you that the shots that Cam missed tonight at the rim, five to eight feet, we see him make those every day in practice. And I have the utmost confidence in him and all our guys, but talking about him specifically, that he will make those shots. When he gets in the paint and he gets downhill and he's got a mid-range game and he's got a floater and he is really good at that. It just hasn't gone through the hoop in his four or five games that he's played so far, but those are high percentage shots for him and he'll continue to work on them. And But I thought he definitely, without a doubt, and I think everybody would agree, this was the most comfortable he looked out there, but he impacted the game on defense and with some big timely shots. And here's a huge one. I think he only had one turnover, one turnover. And that's big because Cam is a really good ball handler and a good passer. And he had some turnovers in the FAU game that he wishes he could get back. So this is a big step up because this team turns teams over as well as anybody in the country. Almost one of every four possessions, they turn teams over. For, so for us to have nine, that's a big piece of why we're fortunate enough to win.
1: And now let's hear from a couple of the players, Brandon Johnson, on what this team, uh, what this win means for the team.
3: It gives us a lot of, uh, confidence and it gives us, um, it just gives us confidence to know that we're not out of this. It's a long season. We still have like, I'll say like 17 more games and we can make something safe.
1: All right. And, uh, BJ on the, uh, shoddy hit to put the Pirates ahead
3: thought he was going to jump. I know they were jumpy the whole game, so I tried to get him with a uh, jump fake or a, a shot fake. And then I knew it was five seconds, so I had to let it go. So I just shot it with all the confidence I had.
1: All right, uh, Ezra Zar, who had 14 on getting uh, off to a fast start in the second half for the Pirates. Um, we're just tired of, like, coming out slow. Um, we're just trying to, you know, uh, develop good habits. And coming out fast, coming out aggressive, strong is, is a big key, so... It was very, you know, key to us. It helped, and we got the win. Ezra Azar on his ability to draw fouls. Just having a mindset of being aggressive, um, confidence. I know what my confidence is, and I'm just going to keep attacking. And here's Ezra talking about the Pirates uh, forcing 19 Tulsa turnovers. I mean, that's what we've been practicing all week, and it showed in the game. Um, we just, you know, Listening to our, you know, our coaches when it comes to scout, it works. So we're just going to keep listening to them. Obviously, they're giving us the best guidance. All right. Uh, that is Ezra Azar, Pirates with the uh, five-point victory over Tulsa as uh, they win their first home game of 2024. Miss Carolina will be back at home Saturday against you who barely lost to Memphis. Last time uh, out yesterday, last night. Uh, we also have uh, Pirate Basketball coming your way Wednesday from Philadelphia as ECU you you to travel with Temple. More on that tomorrow and Wednesday. All right, uh, time out. When we come back, Rini Ingolia from ESPN, College Football Analyst. We'll talk about the Natty tonight and uh, other things college football with Rainy next.
0: Download the new IBX Media app now and get the show for your ears and eyes. Doesn't it look great on me? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Okay, uh, welcome back.
1: Side Pirate Athletic coming your way tonight from the tiebreaker, so I'll be headed over there in just a bit. We've got the National Championship game tonight. There's a good chance I will get to see some of this because they're actually starting it at a decent hour. Uh, they should have started it at 2 this afternoon, but they're starting it at a decent hour. Let's go now to our uh, guest line, where Reedy Ingolia, ESPN college football analyst, joins us from the uh, Ingolia abode in uh, beautiful, sunny Florida. What's the temperature down
4: there today? Is it a little cold down there? So, it, it, for me, it is. So, I apologize in advance. I'm fighting a little uh, sinus infection, so it, it never fails. My body knows as soon as the season's over. Go ahead and right. get sick. And so it, it always happens. So it's in the 60s today, overcast, which is chilly okay. for us Floridians. Oh, it's
1: freezing. It's freezing. That when I moved back up here, it was like 65 when I came back. And I was freezing. It was, it was, I was cold. Oh, no. Rini's so sick. He's knocking everything down. I was cold but, until was... like. <laughs> I was cold until even when it was like 70 degrees for about a year. Um, well, anyway, great to talk to you. You were a busy guy during bowl season.
4: Hence why I got sick. Yeah, a lot of travel. Listen, no complaints whatsoever. Um, a lot of good games in bowl season. I love bowl season. I'm one of the guys that you're never going to hear me say these games don't matter. They do matter. ECU fans know how how important it is and how hard it is to fight and get back to bowl eligibility and get to bowl games. So. It's big for the teams, players, programs. So I don't care. Six wins is six wins. If you can get there, you deserve a, a bowl game. And, uh, and I love calling games uh, for programs each and every year. And you not only got to
1: do uh, television, but you got to do some radio. So that was cool, too.
4: Which, you know, I started in radio. I love it. Um, you know, obviously people ask, what's the difference? You got to be more descriptive. Obviously, you know, when I do radio, I think to myself, okay. Uh, when I'm driving in a car listening to a radio call, what what makes it good? Well, you're painting a picture in your head, so I just try to be descriptive and I love radio. It's a little more relaxed and laid back than TV. You can, uh, you can eat pregame and you can eat at halftime. You don't have to worry about <laughs> spilling on your shirt, which I frequently do. So yeah, radio's great.
1: <laughs> Rini and Golia joining us uh, here. I'm
4: surprised I didn't get you as part of
1: McAfee's crew or something for tonight's game. I mean, that
4: Listen, I'm a McAfee a- fan. I, he's been in the news a lot lately, and I've had discussions yes. with other people at ESPN. Um, in the beginning, when I say beginning, like years ago, he... He had to grow on me, but I'm a huge fan. I I admit it. I watch his show every day from 12 to 2 on ESPN, and I'll even go to the ESPN Plus feed. So I enjoy his show. I know it's not for everyone, but I think he's growing on people for sure, but I enjoy it. Except that one guy. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, if he he knew I was a retired cop, he probably would have me on his show just for stories.
1: (laughs) You'd have some stories. You'd have some stories, undoubtedly. Uh, the great Rini Ingolia is with us here. I, before we get into the championship game, uh, when we talk about the bowl season, all of the opt-out, I understand guys that maybe yeah. have an opportunity to go to, uh, you know, and, and, and be a, a top two, top three draft pick. I, I totally get that. Uh, no, no, I, and I really have no problem with that. But when you have these guys who are, are cusp guys or are guys, even if they get drafted, it's not guaranteed opting out. Uh, and then you have other situations where somebody gets into the portal, and yet they still play for the team that they're leaving. It's just kind of a strange wild, wild west that is indicative now of, of college football. What's the best way, in your opinion, to kind of uniform this where you don't have coaches leaving, you don't have uh, players opting out? And, and, and I mean, should it take more of a pro model in that you can't do anything as far as transactions until after the season?
4: Yeah, that's a loaded question. There's so much there, uh, Patrick. There really is. And I, I'm with you, though. I couldn't agree more. You know, I felt – you know, I know Mike Norvell pretty well, and I, I texted him the other day. And, uh, you know, what was it, 30 scholarship players opted out of Florida State. And it's like and he – you know, if you watch his, his uh, locker room uh, speech to his kids, and he basically had tears in his eyes because – he felt so bad for the kids that stayed and played, and said it shouldn't have ended that way, and it shouldn't have. And for God's sake, that's the Orange Bowl. It's a prestigious New Year's Six game. So you got kids opting out of there. And I and listen. I know they basically said, "Oh, they were mad. It was kind of a you know a quasi protest of the CFP." Give me a break, man. Don't don't leave your your brothers like that uh, behind and just let them go in. And get slaughtered like that to me that was just wrong but in your the general question though, of just opting out i'm with you i agree you got those bona fide first round guys which there was a couple of those at florida state you kind of understand that but yeah the, just the the overarching everyone leaving the transfer portal now the, the the uh guys going to the portal still playing for the team they're with that's new that that's come on late in the last year or two and I just think roster management's so hard now for coaches that they're like listen as long as the player did everything he was supposed to do while he was here at my program uh, and he was a good person I'm gonna let him play in the bowl game and then uh, let him go to the portal because that, that you can't fight it anymore and you can't you can't right. take it personal because so many kids are going in the portal um, now I do agree if we can have some some uh, roadblocks in terms of some guidance in, in terms of dates. The problem is, and I've talked to people about this, the transfer portal in the fall, the reason why those dates are where they are is so those kids can get into school, you know, because right. the school has time frames when they have to get in and, and get, um, get signed up for classes. So I, to me, I almost think, like, do away with the transfer portal in the fall. Just get rid of it. Bring it back up. It's because it's going to come back up again in the spring. So let's, let's, let's tweak it where you just have, you know, maybe a one large time you can transfer in the spring. And I think the other thing that does too is that will let players just kind of calm down after the season and kind of digest everything and think about it. Talk to their family, talk to their guardians and figure, okay, let's take a deep breath. Is this the right place for us? So I think if you kind of get, just get rid of the transfer portal in the fall, I think that'll help. Uh, and then NIL money is interesting. I think if you start tying some of this NIL money into the bowl games and just say, listen, if you're the collective paying these kids and it's really pay for play and, and, and they're going to sign a, a a contract, you should you should hold them with their feet to the fire to play in the bowl games or complete the season. If they don't complete the season, then say, hey, you got to give X amount of dollars back. And I think that will keep more players in as well. So. Couple different things. Listen, it's all over my head. It's all over my pay grade, but a couple things that I've heard talked about and some things I've thought about. So you can definitely fix it. Uh, you know, you're not going to get it perfect, but you can definitely fix it to where it's, it's been the last year or two.
1: Rainy and Golia from ESPN, uh, is with us. So if it goes next year to the expanded playoff, does it get better or could you see people opting out of a first round game if you're on a team that's a prohibitive underdog? Uh, or do you see everybody being more all in?
4: No, I think more all in. I think it'll be I think it'll be better next year. I do listen are we you're gonna still have outliers? are you gonna still have some people opt out? yeah, you're gonna um, but I think the playoff and it's playoffs now we can actually pluralize it. Um, right. I think it's gonna be better for college football and that, see, that's the, also the irony too because it should have been twelve teams this year. We should have been arguing about Florida State's seed. Uh, Not about them not getting in, but, you know, their conference along with a couple others were really the impetus that blocked the 12 team for happening this year. But that's gone now. It'll be 12 next year. I think it's it's going to be good for college football. I think the conference championship, it it puts so much more on winning a conference championship as well. So I think it's going to be better for college football. Listen, as crazy as college football has been and everything we've gone through and we have gone through a lot the numbers the television numbers the viewership the popularity it's, it's better than it ever was i mean it's not going down pj it's only getting better it's just different right it's different i'm in my 50s i played in the 90s i played in a time where it was just it was just different you know and you you have to adjust and adapt things change and you just have to it's not that the game's getting worse or it's getting better. It's just it's it's adapting and moving on. And as fans uh, and as people that work in a business, you have to understand that and have to move along with it.
1: Yeah, I mean if you're a coach, you gotta buy into this and and the portal and the NIL or you get left behind. And that, the ones that are going to succeed are the ones that understand that uh, obviously.
4: So uh, let well, me and you know I mean, real quick I was just gonna say it's never gonna be an even playing ground. Let's like a, like ECU is never going to compete with Ohio State or Alabama money-wise. You're just not. So can there's some boundaries to be put in there to kind of level a playing field too? That's another thing you got to try to look for and see what happens because ultimately if they don't get something where it's kind of baseline for everyone, then as Chip Kelly talked about last week or a couple weeks ago, we will ultimately have a breakaway of 64, 68 teams kind of doing their own thing and then you're going to have everyone else because you just can't compete with the money now with NIL. Well, would that be a bad thing? No, I mean, I, I think you, you, I think it almost would have to happen if you don't get some parity going on here. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. A lot of people are like, "Oh, it's going to happen soon." Listen, the SEC and the Big Ten have a stranglehold on money right now. Right, that's why Florida State wants out of the ACC. So you're not going to see a 64 team, you know, division or conference, if you will, where the money is all even, because right now the Big Ten and the SEC have a stranglehold. So those contracts, and this is all in my opinion, those uh, those TV contracts are going to play out for those two conferences at least. So if something like that happens, I'm, I think you're looking five, six, seven, eight years down the road.
1: With uh, back to Florida State really quick, and you can speak on this with yeah. a great deal of education because you know Norvell, you know the lay of the land, and, and all of this. You could argue they're better off staying in the ACC now that you have this 12-team playoff, which could I think will grow before it's said and done. So what, why is the, what's the big hurry other than the, I guess it's the money, but if you're making the playoff every year in your Florida State, you're going to do okay.
4: Yeah, I agree with, uh, with you. I had this conversation with, with someone, a uh, huge Florida State fan yesterday, Arguably, if you're Florida State and you keep reloading, and listen, they, the one thing, they got a lot of donations, a lot of NIL money in there, too, and they're kidding. So, arguably, you could make the college football playoff every single year. You know, you should be a top 12 team every single year. I think what they're looking at is, you know, they're, they're an hour and a half down the road from their rival Florida that's in the SEC. And Florida will start making upwards of $30 million a year more than them. Uh, and that's where they're just like that's not sustainable right our rival making that much more money i mean you can make all the college football playoffs you want that tv money you're still not going to catch florida right your rival and i think so that's that's where they're coming at it but to your point as far as brand and getting to the playoffs and winning it and getting a chance of winning every year i'm with you if you stay in the uh in the ACC, I think you, you arguably have a chance to make it every single year. And I, I said this, too, about a school like SMU, right, in the American. The American, you know, the group of five is going to get a team in every year, right? And, and arguably, if you're the uh, the American Athletic Conference champion, there's a good chance you're going to get in. So, But, again, they're looking at that TV revenue and how other schools are just getting farther and farther away from them. So that's really what's driving it.
1: Rini Angolia, college football analyst for ESPN, is with us uh, tonight. It's Michigan and it's Washington. I You know, all the pundits, about two-thirds of them, are going with Michigan, although Washington, you can make a case. We could be wrong, Rini, in this, but I don't think it's going to be any kind of runaway like it was last year between Georgia and TCU. I, I think it's going to actually be a pretty entertaining game.
4: Yeah, I don't either. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, the two teams uh the best two teams as they went through the end of the season here and went through the the playoff got there um, i think michigan really uh handled and beat up alabama up front which surprised me a little bit and that was they were the better team although it was an overtime game um and then washington i said this
1: uh oh we lost greeny there his his uh His phone or his computer flipped. Here we go. A look at Rini Angolia's office, which is quite handsome. All right, there we go. (laughs) Uh, Never a dull moment here. Oh, I think we lost Rini. We don't have you on the uh we don't have you on the audio there, Rini. We lost you on the audio. The beauty of uh live broadcasting Rini Angolia. No, don't have you. Don't have you. Uh I tell you what, why don't we uh get a break, we'll reset, and uh we'll come back and uh finish a couple of thoughts here with Reini and uh do that for you on the uh other side of this timeout.
0: We are. We are. We are riding shotgun with you on the drive home. It's good time. this is the Patrick Johnson show on 943, four three. the game. <laughs> Uh, we'll handle
1: so National Championship game here. A couple more minutes with uh, Rini and uh, Michigan-Washington. Uh, uh, again, you, you were kind of in the midst of it. Uh, Michigan, even though it took overtime, kind of dominated Alabama up front. So there's the advantage there. Where does Washington have the advantage in this game? I think at
4: quarterback. Yeah, and... Yeah, and what I was gonna say is uh, Michael Penix, as good as he is, and every time I watch him, he just gets better. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, the the performance that he had the other night, and just the way he reads defenses, spreads the ball around. It, that, that's what this game's gonna be about. His skill players on the outside stretching the field, um, his ability to throw the deep ball. Against that defensive front of Michigan, it's really good. Can they get to him and make him uncomfortable, get him off the spot? They don't necessarily have to sack him, make him throw the ball a count, two counts before he wants to. Just get him uncomfortable. Can they do that? If not, I think he's got the weapons on the outside. He's gonna be able to stretch the field. And then Dylan Johnson, their running back, who twisted his ankle late in that game, which was almost a disaster because it stopped the clock. Um right. you know, um, boy, that would have been something, right? But can they get something out of him as well? Cause he's a really good running back. So it should be, it should be a good game to your point.
1: First time, uh, since 14 and only the second time since 05, there have not been, there's not been an SEC team, uh, in this. Do you, and, and they're, and they are playing it. I don't, is this the earliest they've started? It seems like they've usually started this post eight o'clock. So yeah, uh, I think
4: it's good. I'm with you. I like, I like the better yeah. starts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's the wise thing to do. Uh, but I imagine this will do a pretty good number with Michigan involved and, and obviously as impressive as Washington has been.
4: Yeah, still two blue blood, so I'm with you. A good fan base is, it should do a really good number. And I almost think, listen, I think it's good for college football to get some new people in there. I do. And listen, we talked about the NIL and the transfer portal a lot. The one thing I think it has done as a lot of these programs used to have so much depth, like the Alabamas. Now guys don't want to be second, third string. They're transferring to be starters around the country. So it's spread some talent around. Uh, that's one thing it's done for sure. So something good that, that's come from that uh, for sure.
1: The Michigan defense certainly has uh, – that's the advantage, Michigan, in this. Can Washington – you know, I mean – they're going to have to score points. Can they score enough points against the Michigan defense which Michigan offensively could probably score maybe a little more than they normally will cuz Washington's a little suspect defensively.
4: Yeah, I mean I think the 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 narrative out there is if it's if it's in the 30s or higher, they people believe Washington's going to win it if if Michigan can keep it in the 20s, high 20s, something like that. Then give Michigan the advantage. You know, I'm just, I'm looking down because I have Michigan's defensive stats in front of me. And if they're tops in the nation, it's color-coded in green. And every single one of them is tops in the nation. I mean, it's, it's our, it's the best defense in the country. So, you know, Washington is going to face the best defense in the country tonight. Also, though, Michigan has not faced an offense that's going to be able to throw the ball uh, vertical like they do, and face a quarterback like Michael Penix. So I think it's the it's the perfect chess match, right? That defense of Michigan versus offense of Washington. And again, the key to me is: does Michigan make Michael Penix uncomfortable? They don't necessarily have to sack him for like. They were they were getting to Alabama. They were they were sacking Milrow. You don't necessarily you don't have to do that to make a quarterback uncomfortable. You just got to get to him, make him throw the ball before he wants to, get him a little movement off his spot, and that could that that's wonders for your defense. So that's what I'll be looking for tonight.
1: Is this Harbaugh's last game on the Michigan sideline?
4: I think it is. Um, again, just my opinion. I have no inside. I'm no insider or reporter. I just. Just kind of looking from afar and everything that's that's gone through. I think it is. I think uh, I think he. Listen, we've talked about the last few years, right, with the NFL flirting with him. I think there's a couple jobs out there that he would be interested in. And uh, yeah, so I do. My belief is it's his, it's his last game in Michigan. Who you got and why? Uh, I took uh, Washington. So we ESPN had reached out to a bunch of us. So I took Washington. Thirty-one twenty-eight, and the only reason why is because how ironic is it, PJ? Um, the Pac-12 conference of champions, what was it, one hundred and eight years running, comes to a close this year. Now I know Washington State and Oregon State are going to try to keep it going, but as we know it, the Pac-12 is done. Um, so I just think in the in the irony and in this last year, the football gods above us. <laughs> uh, are going to award Washington in the Pac-12 with a championship as, as the door closes on that great conference. I just really do. Okay, That's it. That's, that's what I'm basing it on. That's a good reason. That's a good reason. All
1: right. Hey, renee great to talk to you. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks hey, for your time as well. Hey. We'll see you soon.
4: Happy New Year to you guys. I'm going to get a tripod next year. Maybe Santa will give me one so my camera doesn't <laughs> keep falling over. So I apologize for that. But, yeah, Happy New Year, brother.
1: All this worldwide leader, though, you think you'd get a tripod? You think you would? That's I'm
4: just- so low, so low on the ladder, PJ. But maybe next year I get a little
1: bonus and get a tripod. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? All right, Reini, we'll talk to you soon. Thank See you, you guys. Peter. All right, the great Reini Ingolia with us. Awesome to have him on. All right, I gotta head over to tiebreakers, uh, and I'll uh, be breaking some land time records, perhaps. Uh, but right now, uh, we'll break. Come back, Philip. will get you through the rest of this, including some NFL news. And uh, some final thoughts heading into the national championship uh, tonight. I like Washington, too, by the way, although now that we're here on game day, I'm kind of leaning towards Michigan. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, and have more of the Patrick Johnson
0: Show as Pilk will wrap it up for you. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on ninety four three. The Game. Welcome back in here to
2: the Patrick Johnson Show. I'm Philip Pilkington. I'll be getting you home is Patrick is heading on over to tiebreakers for Inside Pirate Athletics tonight, as he and Stephen Igo, Voice of the Colors, will be joined by the head coach of the men's basketball team, Mike Schwartz. We actually had to skip our update segment. Things had a little wonky when we lost Rainey. That was when we were supposed to do it. So just kind of the highlighting points here. Uh women's and men's were both victorious over the weekend. The women knocked off Memphis sixty four to sixty three. Um obviously they had to have a great fourth quarter comeback in order to do so still knows Zania Johnson. Um, or she's out for the season, as already noted. Still no Micah Dennis. We have not heard an injury update on her. Scooter did say when he was on Hoist Colors earlier that she's walking around in a leg brace. It was clearly a lower body injury, but nothing um official as to whether or not we'll see Micah Dennis return this season. Men's team defeated Tulsa 62-57, proved to uh one-on-one in conference play. A uh, new top 25 came out today. Purdue hangs on to the number one spot. Two teams in the American-ranked Memphis was already ranked. They stay ranked. They bump up to 13. FAU tumbles to 24 after losing to Charlotte over the weekend. Carolina jumps up to 7. Duke is tied for 11th with the uh, Shaka Smart's team there, the Marquette Golden Eagles. A uh, couple former Pirates that hit the portal found landing destinations Um, this week, Antoine Jackson's going to UCF. Tegan Wilk will go to Houston. Obviously, the Panthers lost. Already talked about Scott Fitterer being gone. Uh, other guys who've been fired so far today Ron Rivera of the Commander Redskin football team and, uh, Arthur Smith of Atlanta. Obviously, he's a little ticked off yesterday with the way that game ended. FedEx Cup official season began for golf over the weekend. Uh, Chris Kirk, 29 under par, 6th career tournament win. They're tournament champions. It's a course that they always score really low on. 15 and 18 are both fives. They're both equable par fives. There's a few holes on that course. Uh, there's one early in the back nine that you can pretty much reach with a three wood and it's a par four. So, uh, a tournament you always see good scoring on. And then, uh, national championship tonight. Wolverines five and a half point favorites over the huskies Wolverines haven't won at all since 97 huskies since 91 so yeah we got about seven minutes here left in the show so we're gonna wrap it up we've already talked a lot of college football today let's talk some pro NFL playoffs are set um, a interesting week 17 to say the least thought the Eagles would perform a little better than they did. Uh, they did not look good against the Giants. Sorry to our guy Mark Miller if he's listening. I know he doesn't want to be reminded about it. But um it's only led to two coaching fires so far. Obviously, there were a handful of teams that had already dismissed coaches earlier in the season, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in New England. There were some reports early in the month that sounded like it was kind of all but settled that Belichick wouldn't return, but it's not really been official, So we'll see what happens there with uh, Coach Belichick in New England. I would say, despite him being 72, he doesn't retire solely because he's only a handful of games behind Don Shula. So I would think he would go after that, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Obviously Don Shula, the coach of the great seventy two Dolphins, two time Super Bowl champion with them. Uh he took the Colts to a Super Bowl when they lost to Namath, Super Bowl three. Obviously had a few losses with the Dolphins. That won with Merino. They lost to the Cowboys and Super yeah, the Cowboys in Super Bowl six. So he had a you know, wonderful career. Uh he obviously he lost the year before they drafted Moreno as well, so to uh Washington, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Belichick. Um, you know, Patrick brought it up. Could there be some guys get fired after the playoffs? It's something that doesn't happen often. But it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, heck, Marty Schottenheimer's fired from the Chargers after going fourteen and two. Back in the, what, the mid-2000s, there were those days with, uh, Ladanian Thomas, Antonio Gates, Philip Rivers. So it'll be interesting to see if, if anybody else gets let go. Um, who knows? Yeah. Not, not really sure how it's going to play out, but the Panthers obviously are going to need a head coach. Um, Jim Harbaugh has shown interest from reports that we've seen. It looks like the Panthers are not interested in Jim. I think that's because Jim will not be a yes man to Tepper. He would put him in his place as Belichick would, which is what the fan base needs because our fan base would like to win one day and somebody's going to need to put the owner in his place. However, they're going to hire a yes man. It's going to be the same situation as when Jason Garrett was in Dallas for all those years. The reason why he hung around so long is because he was a yes man to Jerry Jones. Obviously, Jerry Jones doesn't like guys if they're not yes men. I mean, heck, Jimmy Johnson won back-to-back Super Bowls and then got canned. He had not lost since Thanksgiving Day when Leon Lett dove on the blocked field goal in the snow. And they fired him. I thought Bill Parcells had done a fine job early 2000s with the Bledsoe-Quincy Carter deal. I think had Parcells had Romo, they would have a lot of success. But, you know, again, Bill Parcells, not a yes-man. And, um... So what ended up happening was they brought in Jason Garrett, who was a yes man, and he lasted a while. Unfortunately, that is probably the future of the Carolina Panthers, and it's going to be interesting to see who they get. You know, the guy who's D.C., I believe, in Detroit's name's been thrown around, but, you know, who knows? Either way, if anybody needs to be fired after the season, it's David Tepper. Unfortunately, fans cannot fire the owner. Oh, how I envy Packers fans that they get to be the owners of their team. I know they don't do the hiring and firing, but they never have to worry about a bum owning their team. So that's enough rant about that for now. Sticking in the NFL, though, um, Saturday night, what idiot signed this deal? Only on Peacock? I mean, that has to be like violating some antitrust laws. Because you have to have Peacock to get it. I mean, I firmly believe it should always be on network television. Now, I get playoffs, especially in the other sports. It's hard to have everything on CBS, Fox, NBC, and ABC because there's so many games. So they have to put on ESPN, TBS, et cetera. But at least there you have options, right? You could have your local cable provider. You could have satellite. You could have some of these streaming services, YouTube TV, DirecTV Now, all those things. But, yeah, with this – You have to have Peacock. I mean, what a joke. Whoever signed this should be fired. They won't be because it's making them a load of money. And that's what it's about. It's all about money. It's not about making the fans happy. It's not about what's best for the players. But just remind you people that are making all this money, no fans, no product. Keep your fans happy. Keep playoff games On real TV, not stupid Peacock. Just like the ECU game, having to be on dumb Peacock against Michigan, who is the number two team in the country, who's playing for a national championship in a matter of hours. But it was only on Peacock. Ugh. Sorry, I made this really, this final segment here, we got about a minute and a half left, very negative. So I do apologize for all the negativity, but Hey, you know what? I guess the positive is we don't have to watch the Panthers for the next six months for you. Redskin fans that are still left over from the, you know, the days prior to 1995 that live in the area. You don't have to watch your team for the next six months. And, uh, Pirate basketball got a win over the weekend. Pirate baseball's just around the corner. Pirate women's team got a win over the weekend. So a lot of good things going on right now when it comes to pirate athletics and beyond. But, um, that's about it because our, our pro teams around here rough. Of course, there's all you cowboy fans too, I guess, that probably don't know the capital of the state of Texas. By the way, it's not Dallas or Houston let y'all know. So all those people are happy. Don't know how you're Cowboy fans. Like I said, you probably don't know Texas on a map, but hey, you know what? Congratulations to you and the other 13 fan bases that will be playing this year in the NFL playoffs. I guess if you're a Canes fan around here, the Canes have been turned around. They look pretty good. Tough overtime loss on a Saturday, yeah, Saturday but at least Ronta looked good. Uh, you guys need a backup goalie. You know, obviously off, can't start every game, but uh, stay with us. We're going to take a quick timeout. The other side, we will have inside Pirate Athletics. Coach Schwartz, uh, Patrick Johnson, Stephen Igo, right here on ninety four three. The game. This has been the Patrick Johnson Show.